This is BMO Smarter Investing for September 2022. Join top BMO economists Douglas Porter, Sal Gutierrez, and Jennifer Lee for trends and forecasts across the economic landscape so you can make more thoughtful investment decisions. The North American auto industry is in a state of flux, challenged by supply-side problems such as microchip shortages, as well as demand-side problems stemming from rising inflation and interest rates. Seems the auto industry is a microcosm of broader challenges facing the economy. And all of this is occurring at a time when the industry is trying to transition toward electric vehicles. Hi, everyone. I'm Sal Guterri. And joining me is Eric Johnson to discuss the auto industry and its outlook. Eric, can you give, a, give us a rundown on what's happening in the auto sector lately? Thanks so much for having me, Sal. And I think you put it uh, very succinctly in that if you want to think of a great microcosm for what's been going on, not just in the auto sector, but in many ways in the broader economy. I think what we've seen in the auto sector is all of these kind of challenges that we've experienced over, you know, the kind of the past two and a half years, all sort of come to fruition and really impact the auto sector in a way that, you know, I think has been sort of at the tallest order of any other sector we've seen in terms of just the impacts on what's happening with supply and, you know, volumes relative to a lot of other, be it durable or even, you know, kind of non-durable or service sectors. So, I think at the start of the pandemic, right, you obviously saw the auto sector have to shut down and cut off production for a a fairly long point in time. And I think, you know, we're still just in the early days of seeing that recovery in the supply side. And a lot of that has to do with what kind of kicked in last year when all of a sudden automakers didn't have the semiconductors to actually be able to fully assemble vehicles. And I think all of this is happening in the backdrop where you know, I think consumers in both Canada and the U.S. have been fairly healthy from a balance sheet point of view. And so all of these are coming together where, you know, there was lots of ability of people and consumers desire to get out there and buy automobiles. But the challenge is, you know, you can't really buy what's not available. A lot of the culmination and the effects of what we're seeing is, you know, really elevated prices for consumers at a time when, you know, they're feeling a lot of other challenges across their economic landscape, whether it's rising interest rates, which are going to hit both the housing market and any kind of interest rate payments they have to make. At the same time, you know, when they go in and buy groceries, right, those things are all hitting their bottom line a lot more today than they were two years ago. And so I think all of that is leaving, you know, the market in a, a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of flux in that I think what you'll see going forward is there's still plenty of pent up demand. So if you just think in the Canadian or the U.S. context, right, we probably have on the order of three to 500,000 vehicles that would have been purchased in Canada that didn't get purchased because there was literally no supply over the past two years. And, you know, similar in the U.S., it's a little bit less, but, you know, it's basically on that order of probably at least two million now and maybe even as many as three million vehicles. And so I think what you're seeing there is just there's lots of demand and some of that's going to get cut back from just the pressures we're seeing on households and firms, certainly. But the reality is it's just going to take a long time for supply to kind of catch up to where we'd see volumes hit anything that we're used to seeing in kind of the North American context where, you know, overall, maybe we're closer to kind of 20 million vehicles a year between Canada and the United States. And certainly we might not even see that kind of hit fruition in 2023, depending on, you know, how long it takes supply to kind of get back online here. Basically, the, the auto industry could act as a bellwether for the broader economy. And if we see you know, signs of improvement on the supply side and a pickup in demand, that certainly would bode well for, for the broader economy. Now, now, we have been now hearing a lot about semiconductor shortages in the past year. Have they been resolved? And if not, when do you see that problem easing? Yeah, so I think that's been you know, one of these additional wrinkles, one of these things that you know, if we go back a year, we 
kind of thought, oh, maybe things are going to get a lot better, similar to what, maybe what we thought about inflation at the end of 2021 as well. But I think this is one another, another one of these hiccups that we kind of didn't see coming. And I think it has to stem with a little bit that, you know, the auto sector kind of treated semiconductors a little bit different than other kind of components that they had. So I think there's lots of great statements from, you know, semiconductor manufacturing CEOs who said the first time they ever heard from an, an automaker was, you know, during the peak of the kind of crisis. And I think that's a little bit reflective, right? I think for a while, they kind of took that input a little bit more for granted. And the challenge is, you know, the auto sector is not the largest purchaser of semiconductors in the world. So certainly that's the electronic sector when it comes to things like smartphones, computers, all that kind of stuff. They were, you know, sometimes used to thinking of themselves as the front of the line when it comes to manufacturing, but this was a situation where they weren't there. And so I think now they're starting to realize that you need to take a little bit more of a direct relationship with a lot of these manufacturers. And so I think you are going to see a shift in the availability. And I think what we're seeing now is, you know, some of the demand for these electronic products that we saw over the pandemic. So whether that's, you know, people wanting to order PlayStations or new cell phones or new TVs, a lot of that stuff is easing a little bit. And so it is making it a little bit easier on the part of automakers, at least to get out there and have more existing supply of semiconductor fabricators, you know, kind of dedicated to them. But the reality is, you know, we're probably not going to see those fully resolved this year. And the challenges, as you mentioned off the start, right, we're seeing a lot of this desire to transition into making more electric vehicles. And the challenge there is, on average, you know, electric vehicles use a lot more semiconductors than a conventional vehicle. And so at the same time, they're trying to catch up, in a sense, in the supply of that input. They're also trying to ramp up and all automakers are doing that at the same time. And so I think that's what, you know, likely why we won't see production really kind of hit its stride until, you know, at least 2023. And it could be even until the middle half of 2023, depending on how some of these other challenges end up playing out over the next several months. So the auto industry making some progress on the supply chain front, especially semiconductors, but still a lot more work to be done. And that seems to be the overall view from the New York Fed's global supply chain pressure measure, which it, it has fallen to an 18-month low. So that's good news, but it's still quite elevated, suggesting there's still problems with respect to order backlogs and, and delivery times. So used in uh, new car prices uh, went on a pretty wild ride uh, in the pandemic. Well, what's behind the surge and what do you see happening to prices in the future? I mean, should people rush out to buy a new vehicle or, or should they hold off now? You know, I think there's a great story of thinking of, you know, the always the best times to go out and buy something that, you know, has a pretty big purchase price, like a new vehicle or a used vehicle in the context of the broader economic landscape. And if you wanted to go back over the last two decades or so, Really, the best times to buy a new vehicle were 2009, right when the economy across the globe was in certainly a prolonged and, you know, pretty fairly profound economic slump. And then the second best time over the last two decades was right at the start of the pandemic and very early to mid 2020. And so I think that what's that is reflective of is this notion of when you're trying to buy one of these, you know, big ticket purchase items, you want to be buying it when demand is fairly low. And so I think the bad news and certainly what plays into prices is that demand for these products has just been certainly elevated and will continue to be elevated just from the fact that there's a lot of households out there who would be participating in this market. But again, I think we're used to thinking of the auto sector operating where there's about two months of supply out there on the dealership's lots. And we've been below one month supply for essentially a year now. And so I think that's the challenge is, you know, Supply is there to a degree, but it's just nowhere near the scale of kind of demand that we're seeing. So listen, 
I think as we head into the end of this year and head into next year, I think we will see some of that demand pressure ease a little bit because certainly interest rates matter a lot when we're thinking about financing new vehicle purchases or used vehicle purchases. But it will take a long time for that pent up demand to really work its way through. And so one of the reasons why you know we saw prices go up so much is that certainly on the used side, if you think back to the start of the pandemic, what you had a lot of rental agencies doing was essentially getting rid of their fleets. So that was a challenge, right? You had a big influx of supply into the used market. Prices really plummeted at the start of 2020. And then the challenge is normally what rental fleets want to go out and do is they want, you know, they don't want to buy these really high margin, fancy vehicles from automakers. What they want to buy is a whole ton of really more low end, you know, typically compact is, you know, one of their their key buying segments. And the reality is when you don't have a lot of semiconductors as an automaker, you know, the kind of products you want to put out in the market there tend to be your high margin products. So they tend to be your bigger light trucks. And I think that's what we've kind of seen, right? The products we've seen come to market are those ones that are geared more to those higher income customers have bigger price points. And the reality is those aren't the things that rental companies and fleets want to go out and buy in mass. And so we've essentially had two years where it's really been a struggle for fleets to kind of scale back up. And then the reality is after you scale back up, you know, you hold on to those cars until maybe they have 20 or 30,000 kilometers on them and you get rid of them again. And that's what kind of brings a little bit more balance back to the, the used supply market. Similarly, when you know people kind of trade in their individual new vehicles or their individual vehicles that they have when they're buying a new car. And so I think those are two of the really big supply forces that have just been missing in the used market. But I will say, like, if you look at where wholesale prices have gone in the past couple months or so, I think we are starting to see a little bit of a reset there, right? So the demand for used vehicles is starting to come down a little bit more meaningfully in that now it's a little bit easier to get a new vehicle than it was six, 12 months ago. And then the second piece of it, finally, we're starting to see a point where there's a little bit more supply coming back to the used market. So I think you will see the potential for a little bit more of a reversal in used prices. Now, you have to remember, you know, used prices are still floating well above 20% of where they were kind of pre-pandemic. So as you kind of pointed out with where some global supply chain pressures are, right, they're coming down, but they're, you know, certainly nowhere near back to what we might think of when we thought of going out to buy a used car. And similar with new car prices, I think the challenge of the moment we're in, and I think where we're headed over the next few months to years is that a lot of the traditional automakers, you know, had some time to think over the pandemic. And what they saw was, you know, a lot of these new vehicle companies like Tesla were earning pretty significant margins on their vehicles relative to a traditional auto manufacturer. So a good example was the CEO of Ford, Jim Fairley, had a great comment where he was saying, you know, in the start of 2021, he was noticing that, you know, Tesla was basically earning roughly five times the margin that Ford was. And so I think what they're realizing is when you're in a market where there's a little bit tighter supply, so, you know, you're not tending to have tons of supply on lots that we're used to thinking in the in the new vehicle market, you know, you have a little bit more control over your price point. So I think that's one thing that automakers, I think, are a little bit, I think, unfortunately for consumers, a little bit more excited about. And so I think that's one reason why we might see this sort of cue nature of buying a new vehicle maybe persist a lot longer than we would think otherwise. And what that means is if you're not going to see inventories kind of come right back to where they were pre-pandemic, so where there's you know more than 60 days of new vehicle supply out there in the market, that's going to at least establish quite a floor on new vehicle prices. So I think we're less likely to see them, you know, really retrench back to where they were kind of pre-pandemic. Well, it's good to see that used vehicle prices are coming off their highs 
Uh, unfortunately, though, those new new vehicle prices are still running close to a 1% monthly rate in the U.S. And we're going to see some broader inflation uh, relief from the vehicles area, which accounts for about 6% of the consumer basket. We're go- going to need to see those new vehicle prices start coming off. So hopefully we'll start seeing that soon. Now, Canada has br- brought in a new luxury tax on vehicles this month. Eric, what, what are the implications of that tax on the auto sector? Yeah, I mean, I think similar to the, uh, you know, when we were talking a little bit about maybe some downward pressure on new vehicle prices, I think, you know, the challenge always in the current environment we're in, where essentially auto volumes are, are really have been kind of at, you know, almost recessionary levels for roughly two years. You know, it's it's a challenge to think about a market that's going to get much worse than that. But I think there's already all these existing pressures on the demand side for potential new vehicle buyer, right? As opposed to paying, you know, maybe like a 0% APR that, you know, we, we were used to thinking about in the context of sales promotions for automobiles. Gone are those days. I mean, gone are a lot of the days of providing significant incentives to new vehicle buyers, you know, certainly in the US where it's possible, often you're paying well above MSRP for, you know, your new vehicle. And so I think all these things are already putting a lot of pressure on consumers in addition to the fact that their grocery bills are up, their gasoline budgets were up as well, or their other energy costs were up. And so I think, you know, what this luxury tax is doing is adding another layer onto the, you know, the already existing demand pressures. So, and I think there's certainly what you want to separate is it's always a good conversation to be having discussions of equity in, you know, kind of public policy and finance. I think those are really important discussions to have, but I think what you want to be careful with is whether or not the instrument you're using, in this case, a luxury tax, is necessarily going to meet those objectives that you're trying to achieve. And so I think what we're seeing here is, you know, an added pressure on a sector that's really been struggling from a volume point of view. And this is, if nothing else, just going to put even more kind of downward pressure on different parts of the market. And certainly we saw that in British Columbia when they brought in their luxury tax a few years ago. And the part of the market that saw the biggest effects there was that light truck segment, which is by far the most popular part of the auto sales market in North America. So, you know, it used to be a much smaller percentage, but now it's well over three quarters of every new vehicle that's purchased is fitting into that light truck category. And so I think that's, you know, one of those challenges. So I think it's going to depress demand a little bit at a time when I think you want that sector to have a little bit more substantial of a recovery. And I think what you want to remember is at this point, every extra dollar that the auto sector is getting is, I think, quickly being put to work to help that sector transition into, in many ways, a new economy, right? I think any kind of extra dollar they're earning selling a conventional vehicle is quickly being put to a lot of these announcements you're seeing now with new battery making facilities, new vehicle assembly plants across North America to meet this new reality of a lot of the new automakers are very fixed on the idea that they want to hit a 100% zero emission vehicle by 2035 in the North American market. I think that's the reality is I think you want to be supporting that transition. And I think the luxury tax in many ways is, yeah, putting in a sort of an unnecessary burden on the sector. Well, it probably isn't going to raise the amount of revenue that you'd be expecting to raise here. And again, I think if you're concerned about equity, there's much better instruments and policy tools that you can use to kind of achieve those objectives as opposed to, you know, picking these really narrow products to kind of suggest this is the product space that somehow we're going to achieve broader economic equity as opposed to doing it, I think, in more fair and transparent ways. It doesn't look like that luxury tax would have much of an inflationary impact if it simply results in less demand for vehicles. So how about a lot of buzz about electric vehicles today? How do you see them affecting the industry? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is goes back to this idea of where we kind of see new vehicle prices going, where we kind of see the auto sector going. I think a lot of automakers are really excited about is the idea that to meet kind of uh, fleet-wide emission standards over the last decade or so, a lot of automakers have been essentially selling fairly low price point compact vehicles. So, you know, maybe to pick on Ford again, the Ford Fusion is a great example of a car that they would sell in the U.S. for, you know, around $25,000 U.S. So they would constantly be selling that car at a loss, and they're selling that at a loss to meet their fuel emission standards. And so I think why automakers are really excited about entering the EV space is you're probably looking at a comparable EV that's at least starting from a price point at maybe $40,000 US. And so I think for them, right, it's this idea that you're getting to get rid of something you're selling at a loss and instead introduce a new product that one is likely to be very popular with consumers. Certainly, if you think in the context of where kind of Tesla sales numbers have been this year relative to the rest of the sector. And then I think the second piece of it, right, is for them, it's a great thing for their bottom line in terms of thinking about the future of where they would like kind of margins in the sector to be. And so I think that's really from that supply side of why it's getting so much attention today. And then I think from a demand side, right, we're looking at, you know, a bunch of different forces all coming together. So from one point of view, transportation is a really big contributor to carbon emissions in many parts of the world, particularly in North America. You know, we're, we live in pretty big countries, and so we drive a lot. And so you know, transportation is roughly you know, around a quarter of our admission, emissions. And so that's a really big opportunity to mitigate a lot of those things. And so I think that's another reason why you're seeing a lot of tension, attention put on the kind of light vehicle space here. And I, th- you know, I think from the consumer's point of view, you know, a little bit of an analog to what we saw when the first smartphone started coming out, right? I think smartphones really became cool when you had a lot of, you know, I guess I would say like smart marketing on the part of some of the new phone makers like we saw with Apple, where they were making a product that not only did consumers find functional, but they found just really fun to use. And I think if you ask anyone who's had the chance to sit in a Tesla, sit in a Mach-E, sit in one of these kind of new electric vehicle cars, they're really cool products. And so I think the challenge is now to bring up to speed because you have to remember in the U.S., you know, they're roughly at the, I think through this year, they're around 6% of new vehicle sales. So certainly way above what we've ever seen before. In Canada, I think we're starting this year above 7% of new vehicle sales being electric. But again, that's a long way to go if we want to hit something even at 30 or 50% by the end of this decade. And so that's where I think what we have to start thinking a lot more about is, do we have the infrastructure to meet our ambitions on that space. So maybe I can get an installer or a, you know a charger installed in my home, but the challenge would be, you know, if I'm going out for a long drive across different parts of the country, am I going to count on having that charging infrastructure to be, you know, just as reliable as the current existing gasoline station network, which, you know, is fairly reliable today. And so I think those are the some of the gaps and the bridges that I think both the private sector and the public sector kind of have to coordinate on to bring this sector into a full view and I think a full realization of where it could be. But I think it, you know, it's exciting from the point of view of if you look across any sector in the economy of where we're going to be investing dollars in new economy issues. So certainly electrification, all, all these sorts of things, you know, the transportation sector is right at the top of that list. And so I think it's a huge opportunity both from an investing point of view, but it's also a huge opportunity from just a Canadian and a U.S. economy point of view, right? These are sectors 
that are going to see tons of investment relative to what we've traditionally seen over the past few decades. I think it's going to be exciting to follow where it goes, and certainly you should be paying close attention to it from that point of view alone. Notwithstanding the infrastructure challenges, sounds like a pretty positive outlook for the electric vehicle segment. Now, how do the costs of owning an electric vehicle compare to conventional gas vehicles today? Are they likely to change over the next few years? So the easy answer is yes. Like I think what we've seen certainly is battery prices, which are by far the biggest cost component of electric vehicles, really come down. And I think the challenge there, right, is what we're seeing the sector want to do is, I think, reposition some of the global supply chain. Certainly, China's a really important provider of a lot of battery technology today, you know, battery components. And so I think both from an opportunity and, you know, a sector point of view, I think there's a lot of interest in upping the capacity in a country like Canada, whether it's with critical minerals strategy or, you know, obviously opening up battery facilities by automakers and other kind of partners in the sector. So I think that's one piece of it. So I think what we have to remember is generally we've seen this trend of costs coming down. But another thing that certainly is worth considering there is retooling and repositioning global supply chains often do come with a cost. And so I think that's one part of this thing that is going to be a little bit of a challenge to to pay attention to and watch to is, you know, what kind of ramifications are we going to see as a result of this reimagining of the North American supply chain when it comes to electric vehicles? And, you know, certainly over the pandemic, we saw a lot of key components go fairly wild, right? So if you wanted to buy, you know, aluminum over the last two years, you've seen some pretty wild price swings. And the reality is one of the key challenges of building electric vehicles is weight, right? So if you take the F-150 Lightning, which is, you know, the electric version of the most popular selling vehicle in North America, it weighs significantly more than its gas equivalent. And the reason for that is, Unlike gasoline, electricity is a little bit, doesn't have, I I suppose, the luxury or doesn't have the benefit of spending millions of years, you know, kind of concentrating all of that solar energy into a really powerful uh, fuel. And so the reality is, you know, the battery that you put in that truck, if you want it to have anything like the range of a traditional vehicle, has to just weigh a lot more. And so I think those are things that are going to add to cost. And I think those are areas that are also ripe for innovation when we're reimagining how we build and how we assemble cars today. So I think that's one piece of it that's worth bearing in mind of where costs could go. So I think there's factors that could push costs up. And then there's obviously the trends we've been looking back over the past several years that have been pushing the cost of new vehicles down. But the bottom line is if you go in and want to buy, say, a conventional car today, which again, I think is a little bit of an unfair comparison because when most people go out and buy a new vehicle, they're not buying a car, they're buying a truck or, you know, SUV, which gets qualified as a truck. But the reality is, you know, that car today, if it's an electric vehicle and you're comparing it to a comparable gas-powered or diesel-powered vehicle, the electric vehicle probably in a lifetime cost of ownership today is already cheaper. And it's really the light truck where we haven't seen kind of parity yet, but certainly depends on what gas prices we want to factor in there, right? If we saw gas prices kind of stay anywhere at the level, you know, they were between March to June, that's a place where very quickly that conversation changes. Because you have to remember is what is different about the cost structure of an electric vehicle versus a gas-powered or conventional vehicle is a lot of the costs of the electrical vehicle all fall in that purchase price. So roughly about 80% of your lifetime cost of ownership when you buy an electric vehicle is what you paid for it up front. Whereas with a gas vehicle or a diesel vehicle, a lot more of that falls into the operation cost. So it varies, but you know, it can fall. It can operating cost can end up being you know forty percent as opposed to what we see with electric vehicles today. And so, 
that's one important piece of the conversation. So, you know, volatility in energy markets really contributes to that lifetime cost. But the second reality of it is, you know, I think what we're likely to see is, you know, there's not a lot of light trucks on the market today, right? So I, I mentioned one of them, the Ford F-150 Lightning. You could qualify the Mach-E as being kind of a light truck as well, or the new Ioniq 5 is almost like a light truck in what we think of today. The reality is, you know, we're only seeing the beginnings of model offerings in that space. And so I think as we see a lot more products come to market, so this model year is going to be a much bigger one in 2024 in particular. You know, we've already seen announcements from the likes of Jeep has already announced by 2024, you know, most of their lineup is all going to have an electric equivalent. And so I think that's what you're likely to see is as these things increase in scale, the costs of those being sold to consumers is going to come down a lot more. And so I think that's the challenge is today, you know, new vehicle prices, you know, have priced a lot of people out of the market. And that's certainly something we've seen in the past two years, because, you know, you're often looking at average payments on a monthly basis that are, you know, really unaffordable for a lot of households. Really, the sweet spot of the market is bringing in vehicles that fit into this space that are a lot more affordable to the average household. So I think that's the barrier that we have to meet. And when it comes to lifetime cost of ownership, that's, I think, the challenge that a lot of automakers need to you know, put their focus on if they want uh, this to really take off. And I think to convince people that this is a product that not only do they want to buy from an environmental point of view, but also from an economic point of view and from just a desire to like own something that you know, feels like a really great consumer product. Let's switch gears to our final question, Eric. During periods of economic stress, households tend to cut back on discretionary items. So what can we expect to happen to uh, the auto industry over the next year at a time when recession risks appear pretty, pretty elevated? This is the, the question that is on the minds of everyone who's you know, paying attention to the auto sector. So certainly when we look back at the last you know, big cycle in the global financial crisis, you know, the auto sector had quite a rough go where sales really collapsed and they took a long time to come back to anywhere what we would qualify as kind of a normal level of sales in the sector. So I think we're not likely to see something as you know, significant and severe as we saw back then, just for the simple reason that vehicle sales have been so depressed already for the past two years. So the reality is, you know, it's just going to take a long time for pent up demand to, to work its way through. But, you know, I think from an automaker point of view, and I think this speaks a little bit more for the sector, is they've been in a situation, even with elevated manufacturing costs, because there's been so much demand, new and used vehicle prices have been so high in the sector that margins have been very healthy. And so I think what we're going to see now, right, is we're going to see demand start to slow down a little bit more meaningfully. That doesn't mean that, you know, all of that pent up demand is going to go away. But even if something between a quarter and a third of that demand really slows down, that, you know, takes a lot of that juice away out of elevated prices. And so I think you're going to start to see the difference between manufacturing and consumer, or I should say producer and consumer prices really start to correct a lot. And so that's something that's going to be a lot more challenging, right? If you're thinking of a sector that wants to expand pretty aggressively and, you know, kind of reposition itself in very much a new product space, it's a lot harder to do that when the margins you're earning on your product are all of a sudden shrinking. And I think that's the reality that we could see depending on how significant that slowdown is in demand. But I think, you know, just from interest rates alone, historically, what we'd expect, I think by the time we roll through the end of this year, when, you know, interest rates will have gone up basically by as much as 300 to 350 basis points, depending on exactly where the Bank of Canada and the Fed line up, that's enough to get rid of it, certainly at least a quarter to a third of that pent up demand. And so I think that's the big challenge for the sector is that in addition to all the supply struggles they've been 
wading their way through over the past two years is demand is really starting to catch up, so to speak, when we're thinking about downward pressures on the sector. And so I think that's going to certainly check some ambitions on how much we can accelerate growth into these new vehicle product spaces. Interesting. So that the auto industry might actually manage to skirt through at least a mild recession better than, say, the housing market, benefiting from you know, some pent-up demand. And especially if prices, auto prices could come off quite a bit and if those supply chain issues are resolved. So that industry might be uh, you know, one area through the coming harder economic times that kind of weathers the storm. So thanks, Eric, a wealth of information. And thanks everyone for uh, joining the discussion. Thanks so much for having me, Sal. Thanks for listening to BMO Smarter Investing, a podcast brought to you by BMO Investor Line. We are here to empower Canadians to invest smarter. For more information on how you can start investing today, visit bmo.com slash online investing. And be sure to subscribe to this show to get the latest episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi there, this is Michael Hyatt, host of the podcast Business Unplanned, brought to you by BMO. You can listen to the new season of Business Unplanned as we sit down with industry leaders from BMO, ADP, Moneris, and Meta. This season, we're going to be sharing how to work on, but not in your business. I'm also going to be sharing my perspectives on the business environment, opportunities for growth, and why it's just a great time to be a business owner. Future is great, and there are plenty of opportunities ahead, and we'll share them with you on Business Unplanned. Subscribe wherever you are and wherever you listen to podcasts.